1: That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, prohibited by law. 18 plus Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Welcome, everyone, to Rock M Nation Podcast. This is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. We are on season six. This is uh, episode six. Uh, and we are bearing down on this 2022 23 basketball season. Uh, and we are here to talk about your Missouri basketball Tigers. I'm your host, Sam Snelling. With me, as always, uh, the bourbon fanatic himself, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? I'm fine. Uh, I- I- there's just one more set of vi-
2: video clips to cut. One more set left, Sam. Too many too much time spent trimming and then uploading to vi- Vimeo, but we're almost through it. I can see light at the end of the tunnel.
0: Well, we we know that the uh the player previews have been have been popular. Uh we are we're getting our way through each and every player, uh, that holds a scholarship on this basketball roster. Um, we're recording this uh, October twenty fifth. It is Tuesday evening. Uh, earlier today, we uh published. Um, and by we, uh, the the mats, uh, Watkins and and Harris, uh, published, Demoy Hodge and uh, Demoy and and Trey and uh Sean and uh DeAndre and Caleb and Kobe and Ronnie. Is that everybody that we've done so far? That's everyone we've done so far. And I think Noah
2: arrives ah. on, on on October twenty sixth. I think he arrives uh the day that this podcast goes into feeds. And oh. we
0: are we are very excited about this one. Uh because Noah Carter is is one of our uh one of our favorites. I, I I know I know you're a Stan, so uh... it there may be seven minutes of video for people to digest. <laughs> but he's a, well, he's he's like you know he's one of those guys that uh, you know like he's just he's a good player and he he does a lot of good things on the court. Uh, as as we've said before, you talk about guys who are connectors right yeah he's you know i i think
2: and if you give us an excuse to cut up a lot of ben jacobson tape we're gonna do it it's it, there are people here who are probably like why do you guys like northern iowa so much you know is it a deep love and abiding love for norm stewart no i mean <laughs> it's if you want to watch someone who i think and, and ben's sort of a you know i always think he's sort of a, He's not a guy who I think always has like a hard and fast system. Like he's not running blocker mover, he's not you know running swing, but I think he's a guy who always seems to be really inventive and sort of just slightly ahead of everybody else in terms of like tweaking 5 out stuff and 4 out stuff and you know used to be running a lot of strict motion stuff and now you watch him and you know there's motion stuff but it's building in like NBA style concepts. It's he does a really, really nice job. I think of sort of if you believe that you can meld, you know, traditional offense, you know, with some pretty, you know, forward thinking stuff. I think you know Ben Jacobson's a guy you watch. And the other thing is, if you want to watch and just sort of see how offenses function, his is a good team to watch because they they play fast in the half court, but they're like pretty moderate tempo overall. So the, you can watch them come down, get into their stuff. And then just watch the pace of how they play is really, really fun. Like they play really fast in the half court, but you can sort of see enough of how they kind of move between actions. So it's, if you like watching scheme, if you like watching, you know, guys who are sort of creative and sort of adapting, you know, as time goes by, you know, Ben Jacobson is a really, really good guy to watch. And, you know, Noah Carter is a guy that I think in a lot of ways is just a really diverse player and what he can do. So he's fun to watch. Because you just get to see him do a bunch of different stuff, and that's always interesting. If you're a guy like me, and you're gonna watch seven games of a guy, you want to see him do different things, and, and that's what Noah does.
0: So overall, uh, we have we have published um, quite a bit of stuff at the the main site, com. Uh, If you have not made your way, uh, I think yesterday is when the Missouri uh, preview as a part of the SEC conference previews was published. Um, I have Missouri uh, slotted in at the nine spot. Uh, That seems to be a little bit higher than the SEC media, which uh, media voted last week. They voted Missouri 11th. Um, But actually lower. Lower. Matt, than where they are in the Ken Palm preseason rankings.
2: Yeah, the this has been my spiel since, you know, preseason rankings have dropped is it's a lot like politics. You can find a poll that justifies your view if you look hard enough. Realistically, the best thing you can do is kind of what 538 does, only with way more sophisticated weighting and Bayesian concepts is is average the polls. You know, we do a really crude version of it. You know, where we, you know, have analytic polls, we have the SEC Media poll. I have what I would call magazine polls, which are like Lindy's, you know, Blue Ribbon, you know, the Almanac, and then just like various, you know, different major national outlets. But if you average that all out and you look at the standard deviation, which is really just saying what's the normal range here, Missouri's averages around tenth or eleventh. And if you were to put those averages in order they're around 11th, you know, they have the 11th best average, you know, preseason ranking in the conference and the range for them is between like ninth and 12th. So that, you know, if you, you were to ask me, you know, are they a little bit low? Yeah. Compared to on there, but they're right in the, the normal range for where, you know, for what people are picking them. So I think that that's sort of been the nice thing is to have the consensus view, which is, you know, this is a team that people are picking to finish 10th or 11th. They expect them to be playing on Wednesday in Nashville. We historically pick Missouri about two spots higher, um, you know, but that's not us. You know, if you were to look at, you know, Gabe Yarmond or Dave Matter or even like the Kansas City Starbeat Riders have traditionally, you know, been about one and a half to two spots higher. So that's not unsurprising. You know, people who follow this team are probably more clued into its particulars than some of the others. So, I'd say that, you know, Missouri writers are probably picking this team ninth or 10th. The consensus has them 11th. So, we're, we're, I'd say we're right in line with, you know, where a lot of people are sort of pegging this team in the preseason.
0: Yeah. I do think that, you know, and that's one of the reasons why uh, I embarked on this uh, horrific uh, idea of previewing each SEC team uh, is, you know, once you actually like, dig in and go through rosters and and watch film on guys that are coming in and you you begin to have different appreciation of like certain certain teams uh and have like different expectations and and one thing that i think is is always you know like pretty important and as we saw with like Missouri last year uh is guard play and I'm really, really worried about Missouri's interior. Uh, Like, I I think Modiara's ceiling is super high. I think he's a guy that, if he puts it all together, uh, has, you know, professional level um, potential. But I don't think he's a guy that's quite ready to play 30 to 35 minutes a night. No. And after him, like, the team gets pretty small in a hurry. Now, there was some reports that, like, Kobe Brown said he measured at, like, 6'9", and if that's true, that's great. I feel a lot better uh, with a 6'9 dude playing the 4 than I do, uh, or even, you know, some minutes at the 5 than, you know, which I suspected he was probably, like, 6'6", 6'7", the last few years. And, I mean, he's a a dude with good size, and he's strong, but... you know he's just he's not a guy that you want manning a ton of minutes at the five and like that's what's probably going to have to happen uh, a lot this year but the guard play is where i think missouri is going to be at worst pretty good like i just think when you have somebody who's as sound with the basketball as Nick Honor and somebody who can score it like Isaiah Mosley as long as you're healthy and, and knock on woods, like, you know, we were kind of talking. One of the reasons why uh, our averages of picking Missouri higher than, um, than they maybe ended up finishing um, was you know, because a couple times in the first few years they were not playing with Michael Porter. Then the next year they're not playing with Jonte Porter. Uh, and the following year they were missing significant time with like Mark Smith and Jeremiah Tillman. And it's like, okay, like this team can't seem to kind of get right uh, at the right time. And it's, it was kind of holding the back in the record. Um, Realistically,
2: like this is the way to think about it. Three teams are probably going to finish three or four spots higher than they're picked. Two or three are going to finish lower. Usually one or two of those teams has had major injury issues. So, I think if you're going to say anything, you know, us and other outlets usually sleep on two to three teams, but everybody else usually winds up within one to two spots of where they're picked. And I think the biggest thing in what we've talked about is, are you getting your tiers right? Like, do you have the teams that are going to be fighting for double buys correct? Do you have teams in the four to seven slots who are going to be competing on the bubble, do you have those teams identified, you know, and then, you know, realistically, when you get the spots eight through 12, the margins there get so fine. Like there's usually only two to three games in the standing, separating those teams. And you get into tiebreaker situations where realistically it's, it's things you can't foresee in the preseason, but are you picking those four or five teams that are, you know, kind of fighting on the back end of the bubble, into the NIT and, and in trying to stay out of, Wednesday games correct and then usually you can pick the bottom two or three teams like I'd say most of the time writers can easily identify the top four and the bottom three and most of the time we have probably like 60 percent consensus around the other three or four possible NCAA tournament teams and then it's just really a crap shoot in between spots eight and 12 you know it's really what happens in individual outcomes in a hundred and 60, 170 plus games, 190 plus games in the SEC slate. It really is, you know, the margins are just that sort of crude that nobody can really nail it. But are you getting the teams, you know, sort of stacked, you know, staggered correctly and sort of, you know, stratified properly? And I think Missouri right now is probably in that tier, you know, with the Mississippi schools and you could throw Vandy in there maybe. Uh, those are the teams that I think that Missouri is going to be fighting with between like ninth and 12th in in the standings at this point. If they're on the upper end of that bound, maybe they push somebody like LSU for eighth. But I think anything that has Missouri north of eighth right now, I'd say is uh, extremely confident in, in where this roster is right now. And I think to your point, I'm not sure the front court depth is at the point where I would feel comfortable putting this team, you know, solidly, smack dab in the middle. I think there's real concerns there. And, you know, aside from, you know, just seeing how this team gels, there's a clear hole there. And I just don't know if you could put them, you know, right solidly. And there's a bubble team at this point, you know, with that sort of deficiency along the front line.
0: Yeah. And I I think what you're, you're probably saying for the people that are maybe higher. um, Yeah. I think we could probably add in our, our good friend, Matt Watkins into this group uh is are you're, you're looking at the production of a guy like Isaiah Mosley as, as being sort of a difference maker in some of those close games cuz so much about where you end up in uh the, the SEC standings comes down to uh, you know a few different games and and one of the things I always try to do with my preview uh, you know for for every SEC team is is look at like what are the the kind of key games that you think uh, can can turn them from like a you know being a, a 12 seed to being uh you know an eight seed or or even possibly a seven if they kind of get that uh to kind of go their way and if you have a guy like isaiah mosley um who on a good night can carry you offensively um, you know then that's maybe all it takes to kind of get over the hump against you know let's say like a, a south carolina or you know if you're not playing well. State. Yeah, you're not playing well on the road at Mississippi State or old miss, but you know, mostly like catches a heater and, you know, hits five threes in like the span of like six minutes, and next thing you know, you've got a twelve point lead and you're able to kind of hang on to that. It's like it's those kind of scenarios where I mean, when you look at you know, especially with the SEC and the unbalanced schedule, uh, you know, it, it really does kind of come down to like, you know, especially for the you know the teams that are not Kentucky that are not Tennessee that are not Arkansas that are probably don't have a shot to win you know 13 games but maybe you have a shot to get to 11 um you know and and are you able to kind of get two to three games to swing your way that wouldn't have otherwise and, and take you from being like an eight win team to an 11 win team and I, you know I think when you have a guy like Isaiah Mosley that's the kind of guy that can swing those games. And then when you start to look at other rosters uh, and, and that guy might be missing, um, you know, like that that guy's missing on Mississippi state. Uh, I'm not sure Texas A&M has a guy like that. Um, you know, I maybe question if LSU has a guy like that. I think Matthew Morrell and Ole Miss can be a guy like that. Um, Gigi Jackson, if he had a supporting gas could be a guy like that. Yeah. You know, so it's like, guys that are just that good. And, uh, and I I certainly think that Isaiah Mosley is in that conversation. And one of the, the things that I do think that a lot of the national writers are, you know, who are down in Missouri is almost, I feel like they're, they're overlooking how much of a bucket getter Isaiah Mosley is. Yeah, this is
2: the, I think what gives me confidence, some, like, I think I, when I went through and did the picks, I had Missouri 10th just because I'm, I really you know it's a struggle for me to figure out how the front court rotation works in in a way that that's sort of logical and that you know you know I think can get you to the point where you think they're a tournament team, but I think the one thing that this roster has that it didn't have a year ago is it has legitimate ball handling it and it has a guy who if the offense isn't humming, you can give the ball to and have him go create. I think the one thing that this you know team lacked a year ago was it would bleed out possessions. And then it was so bad offensively that it didn't have someone that could just sort of throw the ball to it 10 seconds left and say, Hey, you go get us a bucket. I think those problems have been resolved. I think they're not going to bleed out as many possessions and they've got a guy now who can go manufacture offense. You know, if you were to look at the games that Missouri had a chance to win a year ago, you know, if Missouri has an Isaiah Mosley on the roster, are they beating Florida at home? Are they beating Texas A&M at home? Are they holding on against Mississippi State at home? Are they holding on against Auburn at home? You know, is Isaiah Mosley helping them add two more wins to their total there? I'd say yes. And, you know, if you do that, now suddenly you're not playing on Wednesday. Are people, you know, talking about, you know, how thrilled they are with Conzo Martin? Probably not. I, I still think that a lot of the, I, I don't, I think, you know, a lot of the political capital was gone at that point. But if, you know, Konzo's, you know, got a guy too who is, you know, able to function well enough that, you know, you're not getting hammered in rivalry games by 20 plus points consistently, you know, those, you know, having Isaiah Mosley is probably the difference between Konzo and Martin still having a job and not having a job. And if you look at where this roster has been shored up, I think they've done a fantastic job in the backcourt of of finding pieces that fit together. Now we have to watch how this team plays. I don't think you can map what Dennis Gates did offensively directly onto what's going to happen this year. I think he's got some upgraded talent like Mosley, like a Noah Carter. I think he can evolve his system or add things maybe that he couldn't do at Cleveland state to it. But if you look at sort of, I think stylistically, I think he's got guys that sort of fit what he tries to do. He's got a guy who can be an individual bucket getter and he's got point guards who can initiate offense. I don't know if this team is going to be as sound as we would want it to be defensively, but I think it's going to be able to do more than just tread water and pray it doesn't drown offensively, and that's going to give it a shot, you know, to stay out of Wednesday. I think if you look at the teams that played on Wednesday and typically play on Wednesday, you know, they they just don't have Guys of that ilk and you know that sort of you know balance and that sort of complementary components Missouri does so I think you know I get skeptical when I see predictions that have them 12th or 13th I just don't think that even really like looks at the roster with any sort of you know <laughs> you know rational perspective I, I don't think they're that I don't think they're that bad at the same point in time If somebody were to pick them 6th or 5th or 6th or 7th, I would still say, eh, eh. Even if you like this team, I don't know if they're in that range. But if this team finishes 8th or ninth, that's fantastic. So they've got the pieces to get there. We just have to see, you know, what plays out on the floor at this point. But I I think they've, they've gotten to the point where they can at least feel good about, you know, being towards the middle of the pack if things congeal the way that you hope they do.
0: Well, let's, uh let's talk a little bit about their their schedule um i mean we've done some kind of review um i think for the most part uh it would be surprising if they you know don't rattle off a bunch of wins at the beginning of the season um Southern Indiana is really 256 in kempom wow That is better than I expected. Um, Okay, so looking at the non-con, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games to start the season. Missouri is a projected winner. Now, one of those is on the road at Wichita State. Uh, That is a one-point game, but every other game is a pretty sizable uh, difference in points. I think 10 10 is the the closest.
2: If you average the probabilities they're a slight lean at Wichita State, I think you could feel pretty safe in saying this team should start eight. No. That's unless something, you know, pin, you know,
0: could be pretty feisty in the Ivy. Um could get tricky. They've got some experience coming back. Uh they've got a, I believe a, a trio of juniors, guys who have played together for three years now, so um they've been an adequate Ivy League team, so it's possible that you could see like a, a team like that kind of take a step up and 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 be tough. Um, but even, even that's like well, that's one of those games where even if you play bad, you could still probably pull out a win. You're at home; it's early in the season. Um, outside of that, like it's really hard to envision anything getting too challenging for them uh, up until that Wich- Wichita State game.
2: And Wichita State's lost some pieces. Like, they lost, you know, Ricky Council in the transfer portal uh, to Arkansas. We'll see him, you know, in January. They lost Dexter Dennis. We'll see him at Texas A&M. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of a weird year there for Isaac Brown because they've, you know, I'm looking at the pieces that are gone here. Ricky Council is gone. You know, I think, if I'm trying to even get through the 2022 roster here, Ricky Council
0: is gone. It's... They got James I, Rojas. They do have James Rojas now. If you're if you're looking for familiar names, um a small uh role player at, at Alabama last last two years. Was he hurt two years ago?
2: Yeah, he was hurt two years ago. But yeah. they they got Etienne, they have I think Porter back. So they've got some talent, but not the kind of key cogs they were at
0: a year ago. Etienne uh left for the draft.
2: Yeah, at um, darn i missed that one there but (laughs) but so realistically though you're looking at you know losing two of your top three can three of your top four contributors right there so that's roundhouse is tough um last time missouri visited it was not fully packed but you know from missouri coming town, that building is going to be filled that's a great environment it's going to be a tough environment it'll be the first true road game they play as a group so some some hurdles there, but if you think that Missouri's legitimately a top fifty team in Kempom and, you know, that it's got some continuity, at least some guys that know Dennis's system and have played in tough environments together, uh, I think you should feel good that they could pull one out there. SEMO at home, another one you should win. Um, Brad Korn lost some pieces off that team. And then, you know, if they're 9-1 I'm looking at here. If they're coming into that Kansas game undefeated, it's that could be a sober wake up call, but everything I've seen from, you know, the predictive models has that between a 40 and a 50% win probability. It's got it firmly in a, in a toss up category, which makes sense. If you think that, you know, Kansas is going on the road to a top 50 team, you know, take Missouri's name off the board. And, you know, if you haven't, you know, managed to do it, forget what happened a year ago in Allen Fieldhouse. If you just think that this is a top, 50 or top 60 team a 50 percent you know win probability is not out of line you know for for Kansas coming on the road in that situation that's so I, I think that's going to be our first true indicator there but I, I don't think it's out of line to have that as a one possession game in Columbia at this point given because I think this roster is clearly better than it was a year ago so we'll see maybe Kansas walks in and, and breaks hearts but I I don't think it's out of line to think that that could be a one possession game. Missouri could flip,
0: yeah, I have a really difficult time seeing that game go Missouri's way. I think you know bill self for as much as i uh dislike him as a as a person um he is a fantastic basketball coach and uh and he he's he seems to know when he needs to pull out the stops and I feel like I've, Kansas will be ready. Um, it's like if you kind of look, I was looking at their uh schedule a little bit last year. Um, you know, true road games. Um, they did lose at Texas Tech, who is a top 10 team in Kempom. Uh, they beat Oklahoma 30th in Kempom uh, by three, uh, beat Kansas State by three. Kansas State was 61st in Kempom. That, that is a rivalry game, so maybe that's kind of like your your, your map. Uh, they beat Iowa State, 43 in Kempom. That's maybe the closest uh, rating to where Missouri is right now, and that was a nine-point win for KU. Um, interestingly enough, like I, I kind of feel like that Iowa State team and Missouri may be able to mirror each other a little bit, but uh, Iowa State really excelled by being a excellent defensive team and being able to do enough offensively, and I think, I think Missouri is probably going to be the opposite of that. Like I think Missouri is going to be a pretty good offensive team, and I think they're going to struggle defensively, and probably do enough to kind of, you know, keep them in games.
2: Yeah, I think, and timing matters too. That I was when Kansas State went, when Kansas went to Iowa State, Iowa State was in the middle of, really really struggling they had the hot started kind of cooled they were you know I think they ran into the meat of their big 12 schedule early they had to rally to get into the tournament. I think people forget that they had to really sort of make a push over the final eight games of the season just to get into the field. so it, it'll be interesting to see where Missouri is. I think that that's this is you know when we talked about the non-con schedule when it came out and we sort of talked about the scheduling philosophy, This is one of those games where I think, you know, you didn't need to go out and do what Conzo Martin did a year ago, which was probably scheduled too aggressively, but, you know, is there a game that, you know, you turn SIU Edwardsville into a good valley team or a good OVC team? You know, do you turn Houston Christian into, you know, maybe like an AAC team another AAC team, you know, and there is there were there one or two other games in there that you could have, you know, put in Columbia for the front end of a home and home with somebody and you know, still gotten your team ready for that type of, you know, opponent that you're going to see in Kansas. It feels a little bit jarring to go eight games against, you know, teams that should be wins to go to Wichita state and then like ramp up to Kansas at home, you know, the semi road trip to, you know, UCF, then into bragging rights. It just feels like things ramp up really, really abruptly there, (laughs) but it, it is what it is at this point. I think the bigger deal is to me was when the SEC schedule dropped and you looked at what happened in you know through the third week of January. The, the schedule is in Birmingham
0: uh, did no favors no. <laughs> to this team whatsoever. Um so, so after Kansas they they have like a semi away game. It's a neutral site but it's basically Fort Lauderdale. Uh, UCF is located in, in Orlando. And if anybody doesn't know that um, Fort Lauderdale's like five hours away, I think by drive. Um, and then you get Illinois. So UCF is, is decent about the same as Wichita state, probably a team you should beat if you think you're in that range, but in Illinois and then, and then a murderer's row uh, just an absolutely brutal stretch of uh kentucky um at home at least uh just so you want to see oscar coming in well and and, and like this this another thing that's fun about it is like all right so you get kentucky at home great when is it when nobody's on campus yeah so it's when wednesday december 28th uh everybody will be like all students will be home for for christmas um, I'm, I mean, I'm sure there'll be a good crowd there. There's enough people in Columbia they can get close to filling that building. I think last time Columbia, uh, T- uh, Kentucky was there, they still had a pretty good crowd, even though Missouri wasn't all that good. Um, but then you go to Bud Walton, <laughs> and you, you get a little bit of reprieve by uh, getting Vandy uh, and you know Jerry Stackhouse running sets on your ass at home uh two road games, Texas A&M and Florida, both projected uh NCAA teams at this point. Uh home games against Arkansas again and Alabama. Um and a road game at Ole Miss. And then your reprieve there, Matt, is a, a home game against Iowa State. The schedule does get a little bit lighter, you know, in the second half of the SEC slate, but like that's a really really brutal stretch and so much of um, you know, perceptions of how things go and, and like your your feelings about teams are about stretches like that. You know, like I remember a few years back, you know, Arkansas started horribly in SEC play, but their beginning of their SEC schedule was brutal. I think they were like one and four or something like that, and everybody's yeah. panicking. And then they win like nine straight because it was all patsies from that point on. <laughs> so it's like, you know, like you like if all you need is to kind of get two or three teams, you can beat in a row and beat them. And then if you go into those tough games, you start believing that you can win. Uh, and that's just a really, really tough, brutal stretch. Uh, Ken Palm has um, basically two projected wins from Saturday, December 10th against Kansas, all the way through uh, this or January 24th against Ole Miss. So there's, a win against UCF a win against bandy everything else is a projected loss there are some uh there are some close losses in there i mean although i think illinois is going to be better than their 33rd ken ken pom rating
2: yeah the to me the focus here is you know you're going to play it's not just who the home and homes are it's how close they are to you you know, LSU is a team that Missouri's got a home-and-home home with. They're 40th. Missouri's 41st. Missouri has its standing home-and-home home with Texas A&M. The Aggies are 45th. Missouri's 41st. You know, Arkansas is going to be a top-20 team, so that's, you know, one that I put less emphasis on. But then you look at Mississippi State, 53rd. You know, there's a little—and then Ole Miss, I'm going to try to see where they are. They're 49th. You're going to play six to eight games against teams that are within— eight to 10 to 12 spots of you in the preseason ratings. Like these are the types of things, you know, when I talked about earlier, you know, the difference of one or two outcomes, deciding whether you're, you know, playing on Wednesday in Nashville versus you know, a seven or an eight seed. those are the games that flip it right there. And the thing about it is they get, you know, Texas A&M is a game that if you have aspirations on trying to get on the bubble, that's a Q1 road win. And it's one that helps you get, a seed advantage in Nashville, that's a win you want to pick up. You know, Florida isn't, you know, a team that's going to be within six spots of you in Kempom. You know, if you look at the rosters, I think there's not a lot of daylight between them in aggregate. You know, if you can go get a road win at Florida, that's a quality, you know, Q1 win that you can pick up. You know, Alabama's highly rated, but, you know, Missouri has had success against them in Columbia. Can you pick off, you know, Nate Oates's crew in Columbia? You know, the Ole Miss game last year, Missouri won that on the road. That's been a house of horrors for them at times. Can you go in to Ole Miss and get a win? You know, at the end of that stretch, you get LSU at home. If you have designs on getting onto the bubble, you have to hold serve there. So I I don't worry so much about like what happens if Kentucky comes in or they go to Arkansas. I focus on, you know, the games that they're gonna play within against teams that are within 10 to 15 spots of them. And if you're Missouri and you have some hope of overachieving, I you mark the game at AM, at Florida, home against Alabama, road trip to Ole Miss. Those four games in that stretch are the ones that if you want to see where this team is gonna be, if you have some hope that maybe it's gonna at the margins be better than you expect, those are the outcomes that I focus on because those are comparable teams. Those are teams that you're going to be elbowing with right there in that tier we talked about at the start of the pod. So, you know, it's a tough stretch, but I think there are four games that I focus on in particular, and those are the ones that I would pick.
0: Yeah. Like the big thing with, with when you get those stretches is you really want to make sure it doesn't snowball. And that, that's one thing that I, I always thought, uh, you know, really even, even last year, um, Missouri never really saw like a huge snowball effect that, you know, they didn't really let like one bad loss turn into like six. Um, of course I'm going to take a peek and yeah, I mean, they did go on a six game losing streak, which I believe was like the longest of Conzo Martin's tenure. Um, and that sealed it right there. The, I think if you look back, that was sort
2: of the moment, you know, where Missouri, you know, beat Alabama, you know, they're feeling good. They got shellacked at Arkansas, which wiped that out. So those two got nullified. But then you had that run where they, you know, couldn't, they let the lead slip away against a They let a lead, you know, slip away against Auburn. They couldn't close that game. You know, they couldn't close Florida. You know, there were two or three games in there where if you flip the outcome, Missouri's at eight wins. And, you know, again, I don't know if that has people, you know, singing praises for Conzo Martin, but it probably keeps him on a job, keeps him on the job, because it probably gets him to fifteen to sixteen wins. Likely, you know, makes it tough for this administration to sell getting rid of him. Maybe it, you know, earns him enough goodwill to keep him. But it snowballed. They had, you know, opportunities against Auburn and Florida State to, you know, flip that four game losing streak into two and two or three and one. And, you know, they had an opportunity, you know, against Mississippi state at home in that middle of that six game losing stretch to keep that thing from snowballing. And they didn't do it. There are three or four outcomes there where Missouri could have been an eight win or nine win team in this conference last year. And that just didn't happen. And so that's, but again, those were teams that, you know, if you are, if you look at the ratings for those losses in a lot of cases, those teams were in the forties and fifties of Kim right where Missouri's going to be this year. So you know don't look at kentucky don't look at arkansas look at the teams that are within missouri's immediate neighborhood and vicinity you got to win those games and there's eight of them on the schedule so and there's a in the road trip to florida who's also in there so nine games against teams that you think you're going to be competing with for spots that's where you need to get results you can't go 2 and 7 in those games you got to get results and, and give yourself a fighting chance cuz the bottom of the schedule here is going to give them probably four or five wins in those, you know, in those, you know, game against comparable teams, can they pick out four or five wins, go 500 or slightly better to get to eight or nine and give themselves a shot. So that's, that's sort of my broad view of the schedule here. Don't focus on the top end games, focus on the games against you know teams that are going to be in the similar position as Missouri and hope
0: you can flip enough of those results. Yeah. So as difficult as like the, The game leading up to Iowa State. Once you get to the Iowa State game, I think Ken Palm's has it at like seven and four down the stretch. Yeah, Um, that's what I'm saying. If you flip two of those games, yeah, two of those games of in the loss column are at Tennessee and at Auburn. Which I I don't know about your feelings in this team. I don't see this team going to Knoxville and to Auburn and 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 winning those games. But the other game, like you know, is uh. It's a roadie State. at Mississippi State, it's a roadie at LSU, two teams that I think you can beat. You know, so even if you like you maybe drop one of those close games along the way, you can that like there's two opportunities I think you can pick another one up. Um I think it's kinda like we were saying, like, the big key is gonna be in that early stretch of SEC play, making sure that that there is at least one or two wins that, that weren't expected.
2: Yep. If you can get through that stretch with you know, four SEC wins instead of two, and you get to the back stretch there. Then maybe you, you could people could start talking about this team as ten or eleven wins. I, you've got to find a way to flip some results in the front end there to to give yourself a fighting chance. So we'll see. But eight and ten here in Kimpom, But you know, the only real games that are look like sure losses. You know, if you were to look at you know games that have less than forty percent win. Probabilities, you know, Kentucky, Arkansas. So that's two losses. Florida's at 35. That's three. Yeah, there's only really like five or six games here where you're looking at win probabilities below 40%. So everything else is sort of, I think, in a position where, you know, you've got 13 games where you can try and fight. Can you get to eight or nine wins in those games? We'll see. But there's, I think there's a hard cap ceiling at around probably 12 wins. I think the more likely outcome is probably nine and nine bland as that sounds, but you flip a couple and and maybe you've you've got a chance to overachieve a little bit, but the margins again are going to be really fine. We're going to say that a lot this year. It's, it's a condensed group in that, in that kind of middle of the standings. And it's really, you know, one or two results can turn a lot of things for you in terms of how you proceed this season going.
1: That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. prohibited by 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Yeah, my uh my my preview had a uh Missouri at 8 and 10. I think initially you kind of picked them at 7 11. Um and just to kind of give people like an idea on how Big of an impact, uh, adding somebody like Isaiah Mosley was like, I thought Missouri was probably like a five or six win team. Um, I didn't really see a whole lot as far as like them being that much better. And I thought they'd be better at the margins with the ball handling and be able to do enough, uh, to maybe you know win another game, but look more competitive in their losses, uh, than they were last year. Um, you know, but adding Isaiah Mosley to me like made the NIT a, a reasonable, absolutely, yeah. Like it that that's a reasonable goal. Like, and I would like I would be surprised if this is an instability tournament team, but I wouldn't be like shocked. Um, just because of how many opportunities you do get in the middle of the pack of the SEC, and you know, it's kind of like you were saying, like if you talk about after you get outside like that top tier, um, you know, like the top five are pretty clear. Um, that's Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn, Arkansas, and Alabama. I think Arkansas right now, a little bit ahead of Auburn for me personally. Uh, I don't quite think Kentucky and Tennessee are as good as Ken Palm has them projected. Um, but Florida through Vanderbilt really are just a whole lot of teams. Yeah, like so it wouldn't surprise me Florida I think I have him picked 6th wouldn't surprise me to see them end up 10th. You know, like um there's that much fluidity and for Missouri having a ha- having a guy like Isaiah Mosley is is really really going to help them and hopefully he can stay healthy, hopefully shoots well. Uh, but if he does, like, I, I really don't think, like, the step up in competition based upon how he plays and how he's able to use his body and get buckets and how he's played in previous seasons against uh, If you look other, at top 100 other... to Ken
2: Palm teams, his production, he's almost as a there's like a five to 10 percent efficiency dip for him against top 100 teams. Yeah. So like it, he and he's the thing about that is he's the focal point of those scouting reports. Right. So. in in those games. So like, like here's the
0: guy that could beat you. Like your best defender goes on him. Yeah. He draws, he still gets, he still gets his bucket.
2: He's, he's still handing out buckets. This is a, so I think I, I, I worry less because like, I think I wrote, you know, in spring, this is a guy who leaves a mid major and goes to a blue blood. That that's where these guys wind up. They don't like strip Missouri's conference affiliation name off the Jersey. Isaiah Mosley essentially transferred from one mid-major program to another. That I'm sure that makes everyone feel heartened listening here that Missouri <laughs> was basically a mid-major but that's the move he made. Imagine that you like another valley team was like, "Oh, we get to add Isaiah Mosley to our team now?" Yes, we will do that. So I think that that's the kind of impact we're talking about here. And if you look at his past production against you know, top you know, against team, you know, against anybody that's in Kentucky's realm. If you believe Arkansas, Tennessee, those teams are going to be good anyway. But I think what you really care about is if you look at how he's performed against teams that are like in 60 to 100 a Kimpom he's, he's been fine. He's, he's held up. His production's been, you know, pretty much stayed, even Kill a little dip in efficiency, mostly because I think guys are better guarding him in ISO situations, but the offense translates. So I don't worry about that. I worry about defensively if this team is going to be able to hold up. To me, the best way to think about what Missouri did was Dennis Gates built a more coherent version of w- what we saw last year. They weren't going to get blown out in games. The efficiency margins were going to look a little better, but the win-loss column probably would have looked about the same, about 13, 14 wins. Isaiah Mosley, now let you talk about 17 or 18 wins. Had they landed Jamari and Sharp, then I think you could have talked about this team as an NCAA a tournament contender. I really think you could have, if you look at what Bart Torvik's roster projections were, Missouri would be a top 35 team if they had added Jamari and Sharp. That's the difference right now between this team being, you know, middle of the pack to NIT versus, yeah, we should talk about this team as NSA tournament contender was one, you know, legitimate rotational big. You know, so missing out on Jamari and Sharp hurt, but there's still a lot to like here. And as far as roster reboots go, if Missouri finishes in the top 40 or 50, that kind of jump in Kim Palm efficiency is outlier level. It's, you can rest assured that if Missouri is finishing, you know, mid forties to low sixties, Dennis Gates is overachieved in year one of a rebuild, given what we know about, you know, efficiency margins in the Kim Palm era. So this team looks like it's going to have made up a lot of ground. So I think that's what people should focus on here is, Maybe they don't make the NCAA tournament. Maybe it's not like a dream season like Iowa State had, but Dennis Gates and his staff have made up a lot of ground really quickly, or potentially could have done that if if this team does what we hope it does.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, I feel like a lot of people kind of point to Iowa State. One of the things that sort of said when I was you know previewing them um, a few weeks back was, you know, it's it's. It's easy to remember that they made the Sweet 16. Like everything in college basketball right now is so focused on, like what happened in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and not many people will remember that they barely got into the NCAA tournament. Like they were they they were sweating it out, and they needed to do some work late in the season to even have a shot.
2: Yeah, they and they got an LSU team in the first round that was playing with an interim coach. Just fired Will Wade, looked checked out. They barely won that game. That was a five point win. They beat a Wisconsin team that was like I think something like twelve and one in two possession games. Their Wisconsin was a six seed that was thirty seventh in Kim Palm with an insane luck score. Like Wisconsin had basically had Johnny Davis, a lot like you know an Isaiah Mosley that had been able to carry them in a way more late games than expected. They get Florida and they get hammered against Miami. So they got some breaks. They were barely in the field again. Nobody cares. It's a Sweet Sixteen trip. You put you know that up in the Raptors if that's what you do, but uh, the the circumstances mattered there. But they had lost three straight going into they the were, NCAA tournament. They were, they were seven s- and eleven in the Big Twelve. Realistically, nice. what got them through was the Memphis win that they got early in the year aged really well down the stretch. They beat Xavier on a neutral floor, which was solid. The home win over, you know, All they right. got an away win at Creighton. They got an away win at Iowa. I mean, realistically, their non-con is what got them in, which leads and us back to... And then to, early
0: in the season, they did uh, they got Texas, Texas, to, Texas and Texas at home. But
2: to our point earlier, you know, Iowa's non-con last year It was 327. They played a bunch of body bag games like Missouri, but they picked off every single one of their Q1 games. If you want to talk about Missouri doing what Iowa State did, they've got to beat. They can't drop any games. They've got to beat Wichita State, UCF, Kansas, and Illinois. They have to sweep it. If you're going to hope
0: to get the quad one kind of win out of that. Uh, I think I would say that they need to sweep, but they need to pick off either Illinois or Kansas. If they beat either Illinois or Kansas, and they end up with eight wins in the SEC, I think they have a reasonable, of course, it's all about who you beat. No team in the SEC, only
2: one team in the last decade has won less than 10 games and got in, and that was Texas A&M, and their non-con SOS that year was like 40th. Like this is the deal. You've I think they've got to get to 19 wins and they've got to have probably five or six Q1 wins on the resume to just talk about Dayton. That's, you know, when I've looked at the in a in a kind of historical sort of like tiers for, you know, what seed lines are. If you're going to squeak in, you probably got to get 19 wins. You probably got to go at least 500 or better in your conference. and You got to find five or six quad one wins on the schedule. That's that's what Missouri's got to do to give itself any, I think, sort of credible case for the selection committee at this point. You know what those wins are. I'll let anybody bring them to me. The composition can be whatever, but just top line numbers: nineteen wins, probably 10, 10 of those in conference play, five or six Q one wins. Yeah, you probably do that have to
0: and, beat. You probably definitely have to beat Arkansas at home. You probably I have to beat Alabama at home. Yeah, like these are the kind of games that like you need to end up winning on top of, you know. I, I do like I I think you can you can lose to either Kansas or Illinois, but you have to beat one of them. Uh, and if you do, then you're probably still in the conversation if you beat X Y Z in conference play. And it's like I I really feel like Arkansas at home. Uh, you know, Florida probably a, a, yeah, maybe Florida on the road would would be good. Uh, Um, Florida or LSU, probably
2: depending on what A&M does. Maybe that's a one that you could add, but those are the games I look at. Like if you're looking on the schedule, it's Kansas, Illinois, um, Texas A&M road, Florida road, Alabama or Arkansas at home, LSU road, are probably what I think you're going to have to look at as far as pickups in there that are, that are going to help you. And, you know, I think a marquee win, like I, I really think a win over Kansas would, would you know, I think cement them, would do would go a long, long way. So big game ramps up quickly, but that's where they are. But you know, if they go eight and ten and they get into the NIT, that's that's fine. That that is not failure. That is a good outcome, given where you know this team
0: was sitting, you know,
2: going into a coaching search.
0: So speaking of a coaching search, uh we are down to like we're we're not taking any more weeks off kind of going forward. Uh this podcast is gonna keep recording all through the season. Um we're we and we are gonna uh have Blake on next week, I think. Uh, Blake Level, friend of the podcast, uh SEC conference, basketball conference uh expert. Um guy huge knows, Dennis Gates fan. Probably big Dennis Gates fan. And that's another another reason I think it's, uh, it's it's good to have him on because in one thing I want to kind of get before we get out of here, is we have not watched Dennis Gates coach basketball game at Missouri yet. We have spent, uh, the last, what seven months? Yeah, this off season is long. Um, watching Dennis Gates do all the things, uh that a coach does in the off season, as far as building a program, uh, developing, you know, a culture as best he can in an off season, uh, establishing kind of a footprint and what they're going to do recruiting wise. Um, how are you feeling in the early returns, uh, and watching the last seven months of Dennis Gates as the head basketball coach, of Missouri? I feel that he's put a solid infrastructure in place. I think
2: that the roster overhaul, Whatever you think about the caliber of players, Isaiah Mosley changed everything, but the one thing I that I've been heartened by is I think I know what a Dennis Gates basketball program and team is gonna look like. And in terms of a player template, in terms of what he values in terms of a physical set of attributes, in terms of what he values skill-wise. And we'll see how he evolves stylistically as recruiting sort of scales up at the high major level. But They've sent out 100 offers, and that's a big enough sample size, and I've watched enough of the, I think a decent enough sort of selection of the guys they've offered, where I can sit down and I can tell you this is what Dennis Gates likes to do on offense and defense. These are the types of players he tends to recruit, and I think this is kind of the direction he wants to go. Look, I think Conzo Martin was a fantastic person. I think Conzo Martin represented the university in every way that you could hope for. I think Conzo Martin's views on wanting guys who were tough and bought in and selfless was absolutely right. I've said that Conzo Martin was an effort coach and a mentality coach. I don't think you could sit down and say, this is what Conzo Martin wants, you know, in terms of a skill set from a player, in terms of a set of physical attributes, and this is what I know they're going to do on offense and defense. I think they were really, really great at being a scouting report-based team. I think that they could sit down Evaluate another team and go out and try and take away what they wanted to do. I think Dennis Gates is the opposite. I think that you know people have perhaps undersold him schematically in terms of his X's and O's. But I think you know after ten or eleven games, we'll be able to say this is what a Dennis Gates basketball team looks like. Will it work long term? Will it get Missouri back to where we want it to be? That we got to see. But I'm heartened that there's an identity and there are things you can sit down. And clearly explicate about this team and about this staff. And that that's a that's a big step forward. So uh, modest, you know, probably couching on my part, but I, I like the fact that you can start to see what an identity of this program is going to be. Will it work? We'll see. But I, that's all you can ask for at this point is is to see an identity sort of taking shape.
0: Well, and I will add to that that one of the things I've been probably most heartened by I maybe other than just seeing the university's overall investment into basketball by giving uh, Dennis Gates you know, the the depth of staff that he has now. But one of the things that I've been heartened by the most is, is discovering like the level of sort of wonkiness that, that Dennis Gates seems to, to have when it comes to, to just like, being a basketball junkie. And I like I think if in order to be a basketball coach, you pretty much have to be a basketball junkie. But how much of a junkie? Like for for all the things that we're you're just sort of espousing about consul Martin, you're right. Like consul Martin, you know, was not spending a ton of time uh, you know, breaking down Tin Riffey. Uh, no. <laughs> well, bre- bre- well, I was just gonna say, like breaking down like you know, women's uh Sideline out of bounds. European basketball, balls. like, you know, after timeout, sideline out of bounds plays. And, like, that's the thing. Like, you see Dennis kind of tweeting these stuff out. So, and I'm like, man, like, he's, he's watching film and, and really, really breaking down uh, as much basketball as he can and, and gaining as much knowledge as he can and, and being a, a, a complete and utter junkie about it. Um, I think that's good. I think that. Uh, You know, and and I do think there are some, you know, some sort of tropes about uh, different coaches based upon their skin color and like what kind of coach they're going to be. I like Dennis Gates is a basketball nerd. And (laughs) I think it's funny that like somebody like Matt Norlander went around and followed Todd Golden. Uh, And I've read a lot about Todd Golden this offseason, you know, trying or even as he was becoming a, a potential uh, Missouri basketball coach. And I'm not, uh, not going to say that Dennis Gates is a, a wonkier, nerdier basketball guy than Todd Golden, but I, I think he might be. And that for, for me, and I think for you and also for, uh, for our friend, Matt Watkins, I think that's going to be kind of fun. Um, you know, because I, I don't necessarily think Missouri is going to be out schemed. Um, Every coaching hire comes with risk. No matter who you're hiring, what school you're hiring in the mat, uh, there there's there's risk involved. So it's entirely possible Dennis Gates doesn't work out. But I will say that I feel a lot better on October 25th uh, after watching this guy for seven months than I did even at the outset when I thought I had a pretty good idea of, of what Missouri was getting when, when the hire was made. This is, this is the number I'll give people. 355. That's
2: the number of pick-and-roll passing possessions among Missouri's ball handlers going into last season. You know, Konzo Martin, you know, said, you know, we, we want to run a pick-and-roll heavy scheme. We want to stick with Barcelona. We're going to keep this going. He had, they had a third of the number of pick-and-roll passing possessions that they did off an NCAA tournament team. Now, this roster that Dennis Gates has put together, 1,200 pick-and-roll passing possessions. Like, whatever you think about scheme, whatever you think about a guy's developmental track record, Dennis Gates went out and got guys who can do the job. Will it work? You know, will it pan out? Will it be, you know, everything we hope for? Will he overachieve? I don't know, but... Dennis Gates did the fundamental thing you need to do, which is he got veterans who could handle the basketball failing anything else. He got guys who could come in and supply what Missouri didn't have. That's heartening, you know, to look here on October 25 and say, I don't have to really like try and decide how much faith I need to put in Boogie Coleman's 180 possessions. He's got Nick honor. Who's run, you know, just, 900 pick and rolls period at the collegiate level and passed on 60% of them. Like I don't know if Nick Honor's going to be an all conference guy. I don't know if Nick Honor's even going to be the you know top 5 guy in the conference, but Nick Honor has 2 years of ACC experience. He's run a ton of stuff. He's got a ton of experience. He's at least going to stabilize that position. That's where I think the difference is. Is that I don't think you're having to sit here and go, "Well, hope these guys are right. They've I think they've gone out and they've, you know, found pieces that at a minimum, we're going to make this roster competitive going to give itself a fighting chance in year one. And then after that, it's how well can they recruit, but they're off to a fast start in 23. And, you know, if you look at who they're bringing in for 24, they're ambitious. So we'll see how it goes, but they seem to just be, you know, they seem to be stringing together a lot of singles and doubles. We'll see, you know, you know what the run total adds up to but they're doing the kinds of things you want to see a program do in terms of getting you know a healthy foundation in place
0: anything else you want to hit on before we get out of here
2: no let's bring on blake next week because blake can then we'll give blake 10 minutes to <laughs> sing dennis gates <laughs> praises right.
0: uh all right well with that all being said uh thanks everybody for tuning in make sure um That you are subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you download and listen to your podcast, whether that's Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store. We are also on Spotify. If you're subscribed to Spotify, you can get us there. Um, You'll also get all the episodes before the box score. You can hear uh, Nate and usually BK. BK has been uh, vacationing in the northeast of the country. Uh, Always a, a good time to be up in New York and Maine. Um, I think it's pretty, uh, pretty up there. Pretty, pretty. Um, but yeah, so they'll, they'll be back soon as, uh, BK returns. to talk all your Missouri football stuff. Uh, head over to the flagship at rocket You can catch all of the basketball preview stuff we've been publishing. Uh, if you go to sort of like the very top of the page, you'll see a, a link, um, that will provide you uh, direct access. To everything that we have we have published so far um, I believe it's called like 2022 Mizzou preseason um, Mizzou preseason it, there's two things previews and recruiting all right there for you
2: we'll pass the 30 piece mark tomorrow um, and come watch all the film. come read all the things uh, get excited about basketball because we are excited very very much
0: and and yeah and more is on the way uh, give Matt a follow at Harris 85 You can also follow me on Twitter if you like, at Uh Give our friend Matt Watkins a follow at @datamazoo. He's doing his thing too. Uh, and we'll be back next week with a brand new episode of, of Dive Cuts. Uh So until then, thanks for tuning in.